uh, as I mentioned, we are continuing our message series this morning on worshipping God together. Uh, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you'll know we've focused on the elements of God's word um, within preaching primarily. We've looked at the elements of worship in song, uh, worshipping God through communion. Uh, last week, uh, Brendan Norton showed us the place of creeds and confessions um, within our Sunday service. And I do want to encourage you that if you have missed any of the series through the summer, um, or as we continue to go through, that I, I want to encourage you to go back and, and try to find those messages, maybe listen to those. You can find them on our website or wherever else you might listen to podcasts. You can get them through our church podcast there. Um, because they'll help you as you think and inform uh, your thinking around our Sunday service. Uh, certainly as us as elders, the pastors are thinking through what these mean for us in terms of our Sunday service in particular. And this morning, our focus is going to be on the place of the prophetic gift within our gathered worship time. Among our core beliefs here at King of Grace Church, we believe in the, the present day activity and work of the Holy Spirit in the many ways that we see on the pages of Scripture. Uh, that commonly is called uh, continuationism, or as a continuationist church, it just means we believe in the continuation of the Spirit's activity uh, in the lives of God's people, as we see on the pages of Scripture and primarily in the New Testament. Now, the Holy Spirit um, brings God's active presence to his people, and the Spirit's power accomplishes many things in and through us. And some of those are very mundane in the Christian life, and some of them are very dramatic. Let me say from the outset that the most significant work of all of the Spirit's work in anyone's life is the work of regeneration. Working in spiritually dead sinners who live in rebellion against God to impart a new spiritual life by uniting them with Jesus Christ through faith and by uniting him in his death to sin, in Christ's resurrection to new life, to know a new peace and harmony with, for life with God. Nothing else the Spirit does within a person, individually or corporately, collectively together, comes close to, in comparison to the working of God's power and the significance of his work in regeneration. We see that in uh, Titus chapter 3. We see, it reads, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and by renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That is the hope that all Christians have, eternal life, and we have that because of the renewal that has occurred within each and every one of us through the Holy Spirit, if we ever believed in Jesus Christ as our Savior. So let me just pause right at the outset and say, if you're not a Christian, you might find it daunting looking in on the Christian life. And you might have some hesitation about embracing the Christian faith for yourself. You may have concern or you may doubt for yourself that you're just not good enough compared to what you see. You might be thinking to yourself, you can't, I can't do that. 
I can't live a life that way. I'd only mess it up. Well, let me say and put any shadow of doubt out of your mind. You are 100% correct if that is how you're thinking. You cannot live God's way that you want to by yourself. And in that respect, you're exactly the same as every single one of us here this morning. We all need the power and strength from God that is far beyond any of our own capability. None of us can turn to God by our own strength. None of us can stay walking with God in our own strength. If we drift away from that, then even as Christians, very quickly we recognize that we fall into mistakes and sin and we need to repent and return to God. But the good news of the Christian faith is that God has intervened in our helplessness through his son, Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that he died on the cross intentionally and in our place. That you and I deserved the punishment of death and that he rose to new life so that all who believe in Jesus Christ might find God grants us new life and the presence of his Holy Spirit. And with that, the power to live a transformed life far beyond anything that we could do by ourselves. So first and foremost, my hope and prayer, if that applies to you, is that you recognize in your helplessness that that is not a barrier to coming to God, but rather is a prompt to cry out to him and receive mercy and help in your weakness and receive his grace and help through his spirit in that. I'd love to talk to you more afterwards. Uh, You can talk with somebody you came with, perhaps, if that applies to you. The Spirit works in many other ways, and we bear spiritual fruit as Christians, the the fruit of a Christian character. We bear witness in our sharing and testimony about the truth of the gospel. The Spirit also gives each and every one of us a spiritual gift, or spiritual gifts of various kinds. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each is given the spirit for the good of the others. And this morning, we're going to focus specifically on the gift of prophecy. And we're not highlighting that. I'm not highlighting that because I've decided that that's the most important one, or I like that one more than any others. Like anything we seek to do from the pulpit here, we take our cue from Scripture. And it's the Apostle Paul who highlights prophecy as a gift of particular attention and we'll turn there in just a moment in our main passage for today. I will say up front as well that the passage is going to talk about the gift of tongues and I'm afraid I just don't have time to talk about the gift of tongues or any other of the gifts of the spirit, gifts of interpretation or any others that are named throughout the Bible. Um, other than to say that they are all active and ongoing just like the gift of prophecy and evidence of the generosity and goodness of our God and the work of his Holy Spirit. Now the goal this morning is not simply that we're just informed about God's intention around the gift of prophecy, but that we all earnestly seek and pursue the gift of prophecy for the glory of God and for the good of his people. The goal this morning is that we earnestly, we honestly and eagerly seek and pursue the gift of prophecy for the glory of God and the good of his people. 
And I want to acknowledge as well, our lead pastor, Paul Buckley, has taught in many different uh, contexts around spiritual gifts and the place of the prophetic gift in particular. And I am I'm borrowing heavily from his teachings um, as well in the formation of this message this morning. So turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And we're going to read verses 1 to 5. It will be over, uh, projected on the overheads for us. Um, but, but if you have a Bible, it would be helpful to have that in front of you because we're going to stay there um, throughout the message as well as look at other verses within chapter 14 as well. So 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 to 5. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to, for, to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I do want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Let us pray before we unpack those verses together. Father, we thank you for your word that instructs us and teaches us and guides us in your truth. And I pray this morning that you would help us. Help us to understand this gift of prophecy as you intend it to be used in your church today. The work of your spirit. Help me to speak clearly and faithfully. And give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. That our lives and our worship together might glorify you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Like I say, keep that passage open in front of you if you can. It will prove helpful and we'll refer back to it as, other, as well as other verses in chapter 14 and elsewhere in the scriptures as well. As we consider the place of the gift of prophecy in our worship, we're going to look at three main points. First, what is New Testament prophecy? Uh, secondly, why should we desire this gift of prophecy? And thirdly, how should we pursue and prepare for prophecy? So first of all, what is New Testament prophecy? prophecy? Well, quite simply, and, and try and put it in, in simple words, New Testament prophecy is someone speaking to highlight God's truth in specific ways for the benefit of others. New Testament prophecy is someone speaking to highlight God's truth in specific ways for the benefit of others. And let's unpack what we see in the scripture here to understand that in a little bit more detail. First of all, we want to see that New Testament prophecy is revelation from God. In verse 26, if you've got the, the passage there, you can turn there in, verse, in chapter 14. Verse 26, and I think we have this to show as well. Uh, the Apostle Paul goes on to say, What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. And in verse 29... Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let them first be silent. Paul says that New Testament prophecy is, is speaking a revelation from God. 
Now that may seem extraordinary to you, and that's it's right that it should seem extraordinary. It is extraordinary. God is speaking, and it's claiming that the God of the universe is speaking to and through his people. But although it's extraordinary, it should not really surprise us when we consider who God is and what he's told us about himself. See, the God of the Bible loves to reveal himself and tell us more about him and his ways. He loves to make himself known. Real quickly, let's look at a few things that help us see that. In God's creation, creation not only bears the hallmark of God's work, but it also reveals in general ways what God is like. Psalm 19, first few verses. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day by day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Not only does creation reveal God's glory, but there is enough of God revealed in nature for us to know what he is like in terms of his character, and also to know that we are accountable to him. In Romans chapter 1 we read, For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them, speaking of mankind. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine and nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. They are without excuse. Not only has God revealed himself generally to people, he's also revealed himself in special and specific ways. He's given us his word. 1 Timothy chapter 3, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. God has given us his word that we find preserved in the Bible, and it's the very authoritative, infallible, reliable, self-attesting, life-giving, eternal word of God. It's given us everything, God has given us everything that he has chosen to say about himself and about his ways so that we have all that we need for life and godliness according to his truth and his ways for us. And then finally, God has spoken through his son, Jesus Christ, and given us a complete revelation of himself, not only speaking to his people, but being with his people. Hebrews chapter 1 starts out, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So when we speak of revelation with God, when it comes to prophecy, it should not surprise us and it should not scare us. But rather we should ask ourselves, well, what kind of revelation is New Testament prophecy? And that leads us to a second point in understanding what New Testament prophecy is. And that is the New Testament prophecy is subordinate. It's submitted prophecy. It's submitted revelation. Again, we have these verses to share, I think. First from 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and then in 1 Thessalonians. In our passage this morning, verse 29, 
We've already seen this. It says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we read, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. These verses show us the New Testament prophecy is to be weighed and tested. And presumably, therefore, sometimes it is valid to reject what we hear. If it's found not to be scriptural, or in the case of maybe having too many prophecies to share, so reject it simply because there's too many to be shared. Or maybe it's just not helpful or not relevant at a, at a particular circumstance. It is a subordinated, it is a submitted revelation under the authority of something else, under the authority of God's revealed word. But it is nevertheless an important revelation from God. So it is submitted, it's subordinate revelation. It is also, New Testament prophecy is also non-canonical. That's a fancy word, but it means basically we don't write down in our Bibles, in the back of our Bibles, things that are shared as New Testament prophecy. Even if something is tested as prophecy, and if somebody says that prophetic word was for me, that was God speaking, New Testament prophecy is merely human words doing their very best to express an impression from God. And as such, we don't add what, it was, what is spoken, say, in the back of our Bibles, jotting it down as if it's an open-ended book. We actually have an example of this in the New Testament as a helpful illustration of this. In the book of Acts, through the early formation of the, of the church, we read about a man called Agabus. In Acts chapter 21, and we have these verses to show, um, Acts 21, we read about this man speaking into the life of the Apostle Paul. In verse 10, we read, While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people then urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am, am I not ready only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of Jesus, the Lord Jesus? And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. The story then continues in verse 30. And it says, then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. 
It's helpful to look at that little illustration of the life, uh, to what New Testament prophecy looks like in the life of Agabus and in this, what he said because he actually misses some of the details in his prophecy. I don't know if you noticed that. First of all, he says that Paul will be bound by the Jews, where in actual fact it's the Romans who bind him. And then he also said that the Jews would hand him over to the Gentiles, when in fact the Jews were beating him and had no intention of handing him over. They wanted actually to try to kill him, not hand him over to anyone. It was the Romans who actually rescued him from certain death. And this helpful little picture illustrates a key difference between perhaps an Old Testament prophet and a New Testament prophet. Old Testament prophets could legitimately preface their words with, thus says the Lord. When they spoke under the direction of the Holy Spirit, the people were to follow and obey word for word. Their words were rightly recorded in the canon of Scripture. Such was the significance of the Old Testament prophets that Deuteronomy 18 actually directs for a prophet who falsely claims to speak on the, word, on the behalf of God to be put to death. Now, in contrast, New Testament prophecy is subordinated or submitted for examination. It is not the infallible word of God. Otherwise, Agabus should have been stoned. So, it's but it was understood that Agabus, although he was a bit off in the details, nevertheless, he was faithful to share the impression God had given him as best he could. It may be helpful, actually, to think of Old Testament prophets as more on par with New Testament apostles. Not New Testament prophets, but New Testament apostles. That is, it was both of these groups that God used to write Scripture and to speak authoritatively on behalf of God. Uh, similar aside, it's important to note um, that the New Testament does distinguish between the role of a prophet in the New Testament and those with the gift of prophecy. New Testament prophets, if we read through our Bible, in the, through our New Testament, they don't seem to be all that commonplace, although Paul does speak of them, and, and they're recorded elsewhere. Agabus, obviously, is one example. But far more commonplace and, as it, and far more expected, as we've seen already from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, is those who practice the gift of prophecy. The, the, Old Testament, the, sorry, the New Testament office of prophet seems to be one that holds some somewhat of element of leadership and maybe pastoral responsibility within the church. And so it wouldn't be expected to be all that common uh, and it wouldn't apply to everybody. Whereas the gift of prophecy as we see again from Paul's words, is, desire, is meant to be desired and earnestly pursued by everyone. So there is this distinguishing between a New Testament prophet and, a New Test and the gift of prophecy. So put simply, New Testament prophecy is simply someone speaking to highlight God's truth in specific ways for the benefit of others. It's non-canonical, it's subordinate or submitted revelation. One, one final comment before we move on to uh, why we desire prophecy. And that is to talk about the role of prophecy, or the prophetic gift, in comparison to preaching and teaching. Muddled or unclear thinking about prophecy can lead us to think that prophetic sharing, using this gift of prophecy, should be the highlight of our service together, 
or maybe treat the prophetic word as the most authoritative word to be shared when we come together in our worship time. Hopefully what you've seen as we've gone through these verses, and there's obviously much more we can unpack here, but hopefully you've seen enough to, um, to recognize that that's not the case. And if you remember back a few weeks to when we looked at the place of God's word in our worship, the place of God's word in the preaching of our, in our services, you'll remember that it's actually the preached word from one of your pastors rather than the prophetic word that is most clearly God's words being spoken into our lives. Again, we looked in Paul's writings to the first Corinthians, but earlier on in chapter 2, and he wrote this. He said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith may rest not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul was expecting his preaching of the gospel to be the clearest demonstration of God's power and for the faith of his hearers to be placed or to be built upon the content of his preaching, not upon the content of his prophecy or his prophetic gift. Well, then you might say there seem to be a lot of caveats, a lot of ifs, buts, and maybes around this New Testament gift of prophecy. If it's a little bit complicated, why do we even bother with it? Should we just put it to one side and move on? I'm sure there's other things we can enjoy in our time together. So that brings us to our second point. Why should we give time and place to this gift of prophecy? Why pursue it? Well, first and foremost, and simply put, we see that we're told to pursue it. Again, verse 1 of chapter 14 of our passage today. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. But if you understand nothing else about prophecy, it should tell us that we are to pursue it because the scriptures tell us to. But Paul doesn't just leave it there. He does unpack more for us. We should pursue prophecy because it builds up, it encourages, and it consoles. Verse 3, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Now, why is it that prophecy does this? Well, as it says in verse 1, Prophecy should be shared in love. And I don't know about you, but it's hard to receive a word shared in love without feeling encouraged and built up in some way. And in fact, if, you, if we find we cannot share a prophetic sense uh, without a heart of love, then we really shouldn't share it at all. But the main reason why prophecy builds up, it encourages and consoles, is because it speaks more of God's love not the, the person speaking. It speaks of his awareness of our lives and of his care for our souls. When God gives a prophetic word through one of his children, not only is the content of the prophetic word specifically helpful to their believer's life and faith, but it communicates very clearly that God knows you. God is with you. He knows your circumstances. And he wants you to hear his voice in the midst of that. I have several, but one very particular personal example that I'd love to share with you is an experience that Kelly and I both had as we were um, considering God's calling on my life uh, and particularly to go to uh, pastor's college. We were in our previous church in Maryland many years ago now, um, contemplating going to the pastor's college uh, in the 
pursuit of uh, a call to pastoral ministry. And I'd had this very clear sense of a personal call to ministry when we were in that church. And I'd submitted that to our elders uh, for consideration and for validation. Uh, I'd served as a small group leader for a few years. And I even, for a year, was a part-time intern with the elders while I continued to work as an engineer. And I was finding success in that work as well. And meanwhile, in the midst of all that, God grew our family from three kids to six kids at the time. Um, and yet I was, both, I was both content and also eager to do and serve God however he would lead us. And over the course of five years, we came to the point where the elders wanted us to go or considered us uh, to go to the pastor's college for one year, for a year of training. And although exciting, uh, it meant considering all sorts of issues. It meant I had to quit my job. Uh, move our family from Maryland to Louisville, Kentucky. I would go back to studying, which after 15 years wasn't a particularly exciting prospect. Um, and I'd never written papers before as an engineer. Our church could only partially support us, so we had to evaluate our savings and budgeting for a year. I had no confirmation of a role back in Maryland um, for after that year, and we knew nothing about the opportunities up here in New England at that point. Obviously, Callie and I talked and we prayed a great deal at that point. We were nervous and we were excited and we were nervous <laughs> and more nervous. And there was one particular lunchtime where we were talking and praying together and we sort of came up with this phrase to describe what we were thinking about this year ahead of us. It just kind of popped into our heads and we called it our uncomfortable adventure. We were both in faith for what God was going to do and how he was leading us, but it meant leaving everything that was secure and familiar to us, at least in a worldly sense. And not just for a year, but really beyond that as well. It certainly was going to be an adventure, but it felt quite uncomfortable. Well, very shortly, and I can't remember if it was the next Sunday or maybe the Sunday after that, God encouraged us immensely through a prophetic word that was shared in our church Sunday service by a dear older brother who was faithful to regularly share and speak at the prophecy microphone, just like we have one here. It was so clear and so appropriate for Kelly and I that I actually asked him afterwards to write it down, and I, I actually have it taped in the front of my Bible. Not that I refer to it regularly, but it is just an encouragement and reminder of how God encouraged us. I share it with you just as an encouragement and an example of how God speaks. These are the words that he shared at the microphone, not knowing anything about our circumstances or what we were facing at the time. He said, Let your hands be strong in these days. Give yourselves to the works of service I am setting before you. Do those things I have equipped you for, and your labor will not be in vain. Put yourself in remembrance of those times when you have served others unto me, and remember that joy that came over you. Call to mind once again those thoughts where you saw yourself doing things for me that would be new and uncomfortable. That was the vision for you that came as my spirit was stirring your spirit. Fear not. My strength, my wisdom, my hand of blessing will be with you. Launch out into the deep for an adventure that you have only imagined. Do not dismiss them as dreams or fantasies. 
Do not say in this hour of opportunity the time for me has not yet come or the time for us has passed. These are the hours, these are the days when those who give themselves more fully to serve my purpose will find themselves doing exploits. Be zealous, therefore, and press into those works of service that will glorify my name as it is being proclaimed as the one true God in places near and far. Lift up your eyes and look about, and I will show you many things you can give yourself to. Well, you can imagine how encouraged Kelly and I were in hearing that as we embarked on a crazy left turn from the path we were on at the time. The prophetic words, though, that were shared are typically to encourage us. They aren't always typically to encourage us in major life decisions like the one Kelly and I were facing, though. Sometimes God cares, or God does always care, and sometimes he speaks into simply the mundane things of our lives. And the prophetic word may simply be to encourage us just to get out of bed in the morning and to live one more day by faith in his son, Jesus Christ. We pursue prophecy because it builds up. We also pursue prophecy because prophecy witnesses to unbelievers. If you have that passage open again, look at verse 24 and 25 of chapter 14. Otherwise, we have it to put up here. The apostle writes, But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all and called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. The prophetic word can minister to those who don't yet know God, but through hearing God speak into their lives, know that God is present and worship him. 18th, uh, sorry, 19th century uh, pastor Charles Spurgeon uh, in his biographies, there's several accounts of him doing this in the middle of his sermons. There's one where in the middle of a sermon he broke off of whatever his sermon subject was and directed, pointed directly at a young man in the, in the crowd and said, Young man, those gloves you are wearing have not been paid for. You have stolen them from your employer. Don't quite know how he transitioned back into his sermon, but somehow he did. And at the end of the service, that young man came to see Spurgeon afterwards and confessed that that was the very first time he'd ever stolen anything and repented. And I'm, not sure, I'm sure Charles Spurgeon directed him to the forgiveness that we have in Christ. But just a, an example of how it can speak and bear testimony. It doesn't have to be that specific, but just to speak into the lives that God is aware of us. He is not distant. He is close and cares. New Testament prophecy is for God's people and is for those who do not yet know him. So that's maybe the why of why we should pursue prophecy. So practically, how then should we pursue and prepare for prophecy? The third point. The Apostle Paul has given us this passage and this letter uh, to the Corinthians because he's actually correcting the church. They had all sorts of errors going on. They, in some ways, excelled in the spiritual gifts, but they used them in such a chaotic and self-centered manner that it wasn't giving glory to Christ. But rather than telling them, stop it, stop everything altogether, 
He gives them direction and encouragement to how to use the gifts in a way which rightly honors and glorifies God. And so it serves as a helpful tool for us to know how also to use this gift in our own gatherings. A helpful acronym to uh, perhaps walk us through this is EDIFY, and we have this to put up on the slide, I think. Um, EDIFY, uh, we can use these letters to understand and see um, how we can press into the gift of prophecy. So first of all, E, we eagerly and expectantly come to help others when we gather. Paul doesn't say that everybody must prophesy, for earlier on in chapter 12, he's already used the illustration of the body and how the body is made up of many different parts to illustrate that we all have many different gifts. So it's not that everybody has the gift of prophecy, but he does want to encourage everyone to press in and pursue the gift of prophecy. We certainly all do have at least one gift to use. So the question is, is how do we prepare ourselves in coming to our gathering on a Sunday? Do we come eagerly and expectantly, seeking and preparing ourselves to serve God's people however he would use, choose to use us? And particularly if God gives you the gift of prophecy, do you come prepared to use that gift in a way which builds up his people? Because God gives them to us for that express reason. God is not stingy with his gifts. He's a generous giver. And so he wants us to come together and use these gifts in that way. When you're getting ready for a Sunday, do you ask God to give you something for our meeting time? If it's a prophetic word or maybe a prayer for somebody or just a word of encouragement. And it doesn't have to be necessarily shared at the microphone here during the, our time. Maybe it's something just to speak to somebody in the break or after the service of, a, of encouragement for them or an offer to pray with them. When we meet in our small groups, when we, we, we start those hopefully in September, those are great times and opportunities for us to continue to share impressions and senses that God places on our hearts for our brothers and sisters that we meet with for building them up. So let's come to those times, come to our time on a Sunday and other gatherings eager and expectant for God to use us and the gifts he's given us. D stands for discerning the voice of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you've actually already done this. You've heard this at least once in your life and I'm sure actually many times because if you're a Christian, it means you have heard God speak and apply his word into your life specifically. Whenever it was you responded to the gospel and became a Christian, you didn't simply hear information and agree it to be true. You heard the gospel as it applied to you. You heard God saying, you need to repent. You need to trust in Jesus Christ. And in your heart, you said, Amen. God's Spirit has already spoken and speaks to his people. This is normal Christianity. And we can work at tuning our ear to hearing God's voice in that way. How many of us in a time of prayer, with a prayer meeting, have, have wondered about praying something and maybe a certain situation or praying for a particular person and for whatever reason we've hesitated and then you hear somebody praying somebody else praying almost the exact same thing as you were already thinking i know that's happened many times to me 
I hope you realize that's not coincidence. That's the Holy Spirit leading God's people to pray as he wants us to. And so we can, we can work at discerning that sense. Is this what the Lord is saying through our thoughts? That maybe this is the Holy Spirit's prompting. And one of the ways of doing that is simply to press in and, and step out in faithfulness to share what God has given to you. Wayne Grudem, uh, in his systematic theology, refers to New Testament prophecy as simply referring to something that God may suddenly bring to mind or something that God may impress on someone's consciousness in such a way that the person had a sense that it is from God. It may be that the thought brought to mind is surprisingly distinct from the person's own train of thought. Maybe it's some, a new idea that you just weren't thinking about or, or that it's accompanied by a, seri- a sense of vividness or urgency or persistence or in some other way that gives the person a clear sense that it is from the Lord. We can discern, we can cue in to these things which give distinction to whether this is from God and then we can be faithful to follow on from there. Sometimes God speaks and it is words simply for us. That doesn't mean it's super secret that we keep it to ourselves. It just means that maybe it's an encouragement or something to bring to mind or an instruction that's not specifically to be shared for others. It's for your own benefit. But a simple thing to do in that time is just to pray. Pray a simple prayer. Lord, is this for me or is this something to be shared with others? God might answer that through that sense of persistence that remains with you, that this is something to be shared. Or he might answer that through the next point, through the assessment of others. So the letter I is invite evaluation. So first of all, we should evaluate what we have with this sense by ourselves. We do this before we do anything else. A first good question to ask is, is this sense that I have, is it scriptural? And does it point to Christ? The apost- the, uh, Jesus Christ on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection appearance, explained to two very perplexed disciples that all scripture points to him. And in reality, Christ and his gospel is the very apex and the focus of God's revelation to us from throughout the scriptures, from creation through to redemption. That Jesus is the center and the glory of God the Father. So whenever we get a sense of a revelation from God, something to share, we can ask ourselves, does this help bring focus and attention to Christ, to what he has done, what he is doing, what he has promised to his people? And does it do so in a biblically accurate way? It doesn't mean you have to get really wrapped around the axle, that we spend ages considering and evaluating that we miss an opportunity to share. But what it does mean is there is, is there some sense in how we can draw attention to Christ and faithfulness to Scripture? Another question to ask ourselves is, is it helpful? It must be edifying for, and it must be helpful. Something that is condemning or something that frankly is confusing or just unclear or is a chance for us to vent about something that's our, maybe our favorite subject is probably not from the Lord. When I get a word in me that, that perhaps produces an all-too-familiar sense of pride or is this going to bring attention to myself, I know that's not God's desire for his word and that may well not be a word to be shared. New Testament prophecy, as we've seen, serves to build up, to comfort, to console, 
And if this sense doesn't do that, then we best not sharing it. One other point under the sense of evaluation as well is that when we get a word, we, we want to submit it to God and not to force it. We maybe submit it to the person we share it with. If it's a, here on a Sunday, we submit it to our pastors as we come to the microphone to share. The, the scriptures say uh, when two or three gather together and there is a gift of leadership as well. So again, we've already seen that New Testament prophecy is submitted word and revelation. It may be that God says, uh, God provides others gifts that say, no, now's not the time to share that. And that's another way we can invite evaluation. doesn't necessarily mean it's not God bringing that revelation to you. It may just mean that it's not to be shared in that time. And if you're helped by a prophetic word, another way we can help others in their own self-evaluation is just by providing some specific feedback. You might go to the person who shared something and just tell them, give them the specifics about something that was helpful and in what they shared and how it encouraged you so that they can do a self-check and know what it was in what they shared and how they sensed that, that that was uh, meaningful to you in a particular way. F, uh, in, the, in the acronym EDIFY, stands for find scripture and words to express yourself. Finding scripture to uh, pass on the sense of the revelation that we have helps bring attention to Christ in an objective way, the objective truth of God's word. God certainly speaks individually through his people in very unique and different and subjective ways. So we want to share prophets, prophecy um, in our own way, in our own voices, in our own way of speaking. But as much as possible, if we can also connect it to God's word, then we help other people ground that in the truth of God's word in an objective way. So it's helpful to pray as you're thinking about sharing and ask God to give you a scripture or a scriptural word perhaps that would help guide and focus what it is you're seeking to share. Um, you can also, uh, when, when sharing, just some practical things. Um, the example that I shared of um, the, the word that spoke in Maryland that was helpful to us uh, was in the first person, as if speaking on behalf of God. That's not required. You don't have to do it that way. You can speak in the third person and simply preface it with, this is... Um, you don't have to say, thus says the Lord. We shouldn't say, thus says the Lord. That's, that's restricted to the Old Testament prophecy. We can simply say something like, I think the Lord would say this and go on and share it. And then we come to why we yield it all to God. We seek to bring, we seek to be faithful, but at the end of the day, we leave it in God's hands. Whether you share or not, you can bring that to God and, and help him, uh, ask him to help guide you in that process as you allow others to assess and evaluate whether it should be shared. Once you come up and share, you speak at the microphone or speak to somebody individually, and uh, whether there's some response or not, we leave it in God's hands. I, I don't think I actually, well, I, I did go back to the, my brother in, uh, in Maryland and encouraged him for uh, the word that he shared to us, but there's many words that I've received and been helped by that I've failed to go back to somebody and, explain, and tell them that they helped me. So don't be discouraged if no one comes to you and says that was really helpful. But likewise, if somebody comes back to you and says that was really helpful, give thanks to God. And again, leave it in his hands for how he chooses to use it. Whatever you do, be thankful that he gives gifts to his people. 
If somebody speaks to you through a prophetic word, give thanks to him. I did particularly, as, we were, as I was preparing this message, I do want to particularly encourage uh, younger people in our church to press into this gift. The, Paul, the Apostle Paul encourages all and every one of us to press into this. Um, but there is no age limit or specification in terms of who speaks. And God has given every one of us gifts to use for the building up of his church. And I want to encourage you, if you're a young person, young teen or adult here, um, be aware and sensitive to how God may use you. Because uh, I think there may be opportunity there. God pressing and on and building up um, people who would share in this gift among us here. As I close, if I can ask the music team to come up on stage. Just a reminder that the goal of our time is not simply to be informed about the gift of prophecy, of what the, the, the scriptures speak about this. The goal is that we earnestly seek this for the, and pursue the prophetic gift for the glory of God and the good of God's people. God gives this gift to his church to build us up, to glorify his name, and that is the desire that we have. Let's pray together.